0: Okay, so this week's uh, Parsha class, uh, which is going to lead also into the topic of, excuse me, which is going to lead also into the topic of of Gimel Tamas, the day of the Rebbe's uh, Yardzeit and Hilula. So um, let's talk about this. Um, The heart and soul of this week's Torah portion is about the argument, the rebellion that Korah had with Moses over be who's the high priest okay so I'm gonna focus on on that and then quickly on the follow-up and then I want to talk about what was Korah thinking I mean you know didn't he know better than to stand up against Moses didn't he know that Moses nothing he did was something he said by himself it was all in the name of God um you know as God said um he is trustworthy in my whole house so so what's going on here ok so a little bit of background history Moshe Rabbeinu's father was one of four brothers ok so we have Levi which was the third son of Jacob Levi had three children Gershon, Kahat and Merari Kahat had three, had four children. The first one is Amram, and that is the father of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. The next one was Yitzhar. Yitzhar was the father of Korah. So Korah and Moshe were cousins. Now Korah rebelled against Moshe and said, in the verse, it says these words. Um, Let me read it to you in English instead of Hebrew and translating it. He said to Moshe and Aaron, you've made yourself too important for the entire congregation are all holy. So therefore, why have you made yourselves elite over God's assembly? And basically, he's saying we're all holy. We all stood at the foot of Mount Sinai. God spoke to each and every one of us. Take it to the next level in the book of Exodus, in chapter 19, where it talks about the Ten Commandments. Over there, the the prelude to the Ten Commandments, Moses was told by God to go and tell the Jewish people, and you will all be for me a kingly nation of priests. Mamlechet, from the word melech, mamlechet, kohanim. Now, there is a man by the name of Yaakov ben Asher. We're talking about someone, his father was a contemporary with Maimonides. And from the three found, founding pillars of Jewish law. He had a son called the Bal Haturim, which because he wrote a book called the Tor. And he basically is the foundation of the shulchan aruch. So his father wrote wrote the book of laws, but not as a book of laws. He, from Talmud, page by page, tractic by tractic, he combed through what the bottom line law of that page's discussions were. His son, um, the Yaakov uh, ben Osher, He went and wrote a book called the Torah. And what he did was he actually wrote a book of laws like Maimonides did, which would work on book, chapter, and each one was broken into the laws, the laws of the morning, the laws of, you know, prayer, the laws of tefillin, you know, that instead of following the Talmudic order. Now, he also wrote a commentary on the Torah, And he writes that when God said you shall be a kingly nation of priests, he didn't mean regular priests. He specifically meant Kohen Gadol, high priest. Okay. Not only that, he said that basically when God said that, being that he spoke to every single Jew directly. um, uh, So therefore, every Jew was on the status of a high priest. But, when we did the sin of the golden calf, we lost that power, and therefore we were no more on that level of high priest, and he says that when Mashiach comes, and then the evil and the impurities will be removed from the world, once again we will be on the level of a high priest. So we need to understand what is the level of a high priest, what was going on here, and Basically, the high priest level is defined, as Maimonides says, that the high priest is not allowed to leave Jerusalem, he's not allowed to even leave the Holy Temple, unless there's a reason for it. His entire dedication, which expressed itself in the pinnacle of his service, was to be in the Holy of Holies on the holiest day of Yom Kippur, doing the holiest service of incense. So when we say that God said all you are going to be high priests, we're talking about, I mean, just to put things in perspective, um, you know, we each know that on Yom Kippur in that closing hour of Nailah after praying for 24, 25 hours and after fasting and then being in a different space, you know, after the Rosh Hashanah and the 10 days of repentance, we're in a level of much deeper consciousness of God's presence and God's sovereignty over the world. Now, that's us. Imagine the person who was the a, appointed high priest who spent all year in that level of spirituality. Hence, when Korah was saying we should all be high priest, he was saying that even though we lost it through doing the golden calf, but the proof is that we were, so we could be and we're going to be again when Mashiach comes, we can do it now if we are willing to do the teshuva and, you know, stand strong with it. You know, we see that God reacts when a Jew really passionately and and committedly wants, um, especially he wants to be close to God, God would allow us that. And Moses says, no, until Mashiach comes, there can only be one on that level, and therefore, why are you fighting for that which doesn't belong to you? Moses even said the words, I also want to be the Kohen Gadol and have his experience, but it's not for me. It was given by God specifically to um, Aaron. Okay. We're going to pause here on the deeper meanings. I just wanted you to understand and appreciate what Korah was fighting for. He wasn't fighting for fame and power on the deeper level. He was fighting for an intense, holistic, absolute um, unity, devotion and relationship and consciousness of God. Okay. Now with that being said, let's go back to the story. And he, He rallied 250 of the finest judges that was the neighboring tribe to that Levite family, and that was the tribe of Reuven. 250 people gathered there. Now, I want to just tell you an interesting story how a spouse could make or break a person. There is an interesting teaching in chapter, in, in Ethics of Our Father, Fathers, Pirkei Avot, which says, one should not talk excessively with a woman. Then it goes on to say, here we're talking about his own wife, how much more so with another woman. Excuse me. So, I looked into the commentaries. What does that mean? You shouldn't talk with your wife um, excessively, what's called excessively and, and isn't communication between two spouses, um, the foundation of everything. Um, I mean, you know, the worst thing for kids is when spouses aren't on the same page um, and then even without the children, just the relationship. So I looked into the commentaries and I saw over there a commentary by the name of the Batanura. There's actually a wine named after him. Rabbi Bhattanura. And he writes like this. He says, we learn that teaching of the sages, we learn out of the story of Korach. Why? Because in the inauguration of the Levites, and Kabbalah and Hasidus explains why exactly this happened and how it's so important, how everything is perfect. However, from the human eye, there was a a less than respectable process for the Levite. Number one, the Levite was completely shaven from the tip of his skull to his toenail, all hair was removed. Number two, the Aaron had to actually lift and wave, just like he did with the sacrifices. He had to lift and wave each one of the Levites in the process of the inauguration. Um, So while there's all Kabbalistic teachings and deep meanings to why the Levite can't have hair, I mean, you know, obviously this is this was adopted from the Torah by different by different uh, groups as well. You know, the spiritual monks in martial arts uh, in 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 the Far East they also do that. You know, some of them have one long ponytail, others completely remove the hair. Um, there's deeper teachings to to why that happens. Um, you know, uh, but nevertheless, from the from the coarse eye perspective, I mean, really, we're being shaven from head to toe and we're being waved around, uh, lifted and waved in our dedication to God. What's going on here? So Korach came home and told his wife. And his wife said, don't you see what Moses is doing? He's making his family great. Him, Aaron, Miriam." And he's solidifying that by ridiculing all those around him by making them less than great, by doing these ridiculous things. And that's why Korach went to war. Now, based on this explanation of the Bartanura to what, what is the foundation of don't speak excessively to your wife, and I want to just tell you my take on that, there are certain things you're best off not sharing with your spouse. Now, I know that everyone's going to go ballistic. What do you mean? What do you mean? Keep me secrets from your spouse. I'm talking about something very simple. If something happened at work, which was less than respectful to you, your boss went off the handle, whatever it may be. What are you going to gain by telling that to your spouse? One or two things. Either she's going to stand up for your honor, like, you know, a true spouse and going to tell you, you can't, you can't take this sitting down. You got to go to war. And what can happen then? Sometimes going to war is not the best thing. Sometimes the best thing is to let it go for now. And then later bring it back up when things calm down and say, that was unacceptable. That can't happen again, you know, boundaries, but going to war isn't always the right thing. Or the other scenario is where she won't push you to go and, and, you know, fight for your honor. But rather, in her mind, it's, oh, my husband isn't such a respected person. Either way, you're going to stand to lose. That's what I'm saying when the Mishnah says, don't talk excessively to your spouse. You know, think, why am I sharing this with my spouse and what's going to come out of it? And it's not about keeping secrets. With that being said, I want to now take you to the Talmud. I told you the mission and ethics of our father, based on the story of how the Bartanura explains it, the story of our Torah portion. I wanna take you to the next level, where in the Talmud it says that a wife can make or break a person. And it it quotes the story of Korach as the woman that broke her husband, brought his life to an end actually, everyone's life, that whole family got swallowed. And then in the same story, it points out a wife who saved her husband's life. If you look in the first verse of this week's Torah portion, it says that Korach took with him Datan and Aviram, and he took On Ben Pelas. and then there was a 250 for the tribe of Ruve. When the showdown actually happens, we meet Korach, Datan Aviram, and the 250. This own guy, own, the son of Peles, isn't there. And our sages say, what happened? His wife talked sense into him and said, listen, why are you getting involved? If Korach loses, this is going to go bad. And you're going to be part of what happens bad. If Korach wins, what do you stand to gain? He's not fighting for your honor. He's fighting for his honor. Own said, but what can I do? I already gave my allegiance. She said, don't worry. I'll take care of it. You go back into the tent and you study and pray, do your stuff. I'll take care of the rabbis when they come to pick you up. What did she do? She was in her tent. So she uncovered her hair. A married woman's allowed to uncover her hair in her own house. However, a man is not allowed to see a married woman's uncovered hair. So therefore she sat close to the door from the inside, so she did what she's allowed to. When the sages came to pick him up for the showdown, when they noticed that she's there without her hair, with her covering, they right away turned around and walked away. Hence, the Talmud says that a woman with her wisdom builds the home. So interesting that on this week's Torah portion, we find a woman who saved her husband's life and we find a woman who led her husband into a battle against Moses, which ended poorly. Anyway, let's just quickly go through the rest of the portion. So what happens is Moses tries to tell the Korach and the 250, why are you guys doing this? What do you gain? And then Rashi says that he told them, listen, other nations have many gods within the nation itself, And in many different priests, we have one nation, one God, one Torah, and one high priest. And then Moses says, I too would want to be a high priest. But it's not what happens. And you guys want to have 250 high priests? That's not the way it works by our people. And Korach doesn't back down. Korach fights with Moses. And Moses says, okay, you guys want to be high priests? The one thing that is most renowned, as I mentioned to you before, Yom Kippur, in the Holy of Holies, incense. So everyone tomorrow who wants to be the high priest will bring incense. The 250 people will bring their incense, and Aaron will be their incense, will bring his incense. And just know that the one who is meant to be the high priest, he will stay alive, and the rest will die. Now they knew that Moses wasn't joking. Because you will remember that Aaron's two sons who brought incense in the inauguration died. So they knew that the incense is not something you mess with. If you're worthy of it, then it's the greatest healing for the entire Jewish nation. However, if you're not worthy of it, it will take your life. So they knew that Moses is now bringing them to the point. Guys, if you want to do this, fine, let's do it. And obviously Moses begs them not to do it. Anyway, they stand committed to what they want to do. They bring it and sure enough, Aaron lives, the others die. And something interesting happens that the earth opens up, Korach and his family get completely swallowed. Now, it doesn't say this in the Torah. However, I want to give you some insights to what's going on here. Korach saw through prophecy that from him is going to come the great Samuel the prophet. The verse says that Samuel was equal to Moses and Aaron. So he thought that he can't die because from him has to come forth this great and mighty prophet. And therefore he thought that in in the merit of Shemuel, he would be saved. However, what Korach didn't know was that even though his Sons were swallowed with him in the earth. However, because they did teshuva, 38 years later, God, God allowed for them to climb out of the earth. And therefore, if you pay attention in the book of Psalms, you'll find that many of the chapters are Livnei Korach, to the sons of Korach. Because they did make it out alive, they did do teshuvah. And therefore, Samuel the prophet did come forth from them. But that was Korah's mistake. Now, after that whole story, Moses tells everyone, the, the people there, gathered together the shovels that they used for the incense. And it was banged down, melted down, added to the altar to be as a sign. Then the next step, Moses is told by God, that there should be total proof and no one should ever again question not the selection of the tribe of Levi, not the selection of within this tribe of Levi's, the koanim, and not within the Kohanim the selection of the high priest. God told Moses that each tribe should give one piece of wood and he should put Aaron's in middle of all those other pieces. So you had all the pieces of wood, and then he was to place that away. And then the next day he came out, he brought them out and he showed the people that Aaron's, Aaron's, um, Aaron's um, stick was the only stick that sprout almonds. Another sign to them that this is not his doing. This was God choosing. Okay. After that, you should just know the rest of the Torah portion talks primarily about all the blessings and gifts that were given to the Kohanim because they would not receive a portion of the land and therefore they received these different gifts. Also, the Jewish people were now grumbling. Look, look, look what's happening. Moses and Aaron, so many of us are dying on all these things. And by them complaining rather than being humble and realize, you know, Moses keeps on fighting for us, and we keep on, you know, fighting against him and and causing these punishments. Therefore, Moses, uh, a a plague breaks out, and God tells Aaron to grab the incense and run amongst the, where the people are dying. And our sages tell us, and Rashi quotes it, that the people were saying this incense is a terrible thing. People die from it. The two sons of Aaron, and out of 250 of the finest rabbis, Korach. So Moses wanted Aaron to show them that, no, the incense is actually what saves people. It's when it's used wrongly that it can cause damage. And an interesting conversation takes place between Aaron and the angel of death. Our sages tell us that Aaron stood there with the incense and the angel of death said, you can't stop me because God sent me. And he said, well, Moses told me to stop you. And the angel of death said, really? So the teacher, God says to, for me to kill. Moses, the student says, for me not to kill. Who do you think we should listen to? The teacher, or the student. And Aaron tells the angel of death, there is nothing that the student does unless the teacher tells him. So if Moses said that I should stop you, it means that God said that I should stop you. And that's why the verse says, and Aaron came to Moses. And what's hidden in that verse is that Aaron brought the angel of death to Moses so that he can confirm that it's God that said to stop him from killing. Um, and, And like I said, the rest is all talking about the different the different um, uh, gifts that were given to um, the priests uh, for their work. Okay. Um, and then about the house. The so Levites was given to serve under the Kohanim. So the Kohanim were the primary people who did the sacrifices and those type of stuff in the, in the holy temple. Um, the Levites were the ones that guarded the temple and the ones that played the music which uh, again, mystically had the power of elevating the sacrifices to where they needed to be elevated to. Okay, again, I'm being brief. Uh, we started a little late and I want to talk about um, the Rebbe's yard site, the Yom Hilula of the Rebbe on Sunday. And with that, um, I want to share uh, a, a connection and a deeper insight to what was Korah thinking. Um, backing up a moment, uh, this Sunday, I'm going to be on the Rebbe's Yard site. I'm going to be by the Ohel, his holy um, burial place. So anyone who who hears this on time, which is until Friday, um, about two o'clock, so I'll have time to print it up before Shabbat, um, please go ahead and send an email to me if you want me to mention you in prayers. My email address is Chabad N. Miami, that's C H A B A D N, like in North N M I A M I at gmail.com. The way you send me this email is the protocol is you use your Jewish name, the son or daughter of your mother's Jewish name, and then you go on to write what you know requests for blessings you're asking. And when I do my prayers, Um, You know, I will ask, uh, you know, for the Rebbe to bless you. And just to be clear, I don't pray to the Rebbe. No one prays to the Rebbe. It's just an ancient custom that when you pray, you surround yourself with the righteous people, especially your Rebbe, um, to be able to empower and help you in prayer. Just like we ask Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, always in our Amida, to help us in prayer before God Almighty. So again, Shabbat and Miami, your Jewish name, the son or daughter of your mother's Jewish name, and what specific blessings you're asking for. Um, if you don't know your Jewish name, use your secular name. Same with the parent, the mother's name. If you don't know your, your uh, mother's Jewish name, just use her secular name or legal name. And when it comes to converts, Um, don't use your biological mother's name, use Sarah, because every convert is considered a direct offspring of no one else but Abraham and Sarah, the father of the Jewish people. Okay, so that pretty much shares with you what the opportunity is. Again, make sure I receive it before Friday 2 o'clock so that I can print it um, before Shabbat and have it ready with me when I go Sunday to the Ohel. Now let's go back to the topic. What exactly does it mean that there's only one Kohen Gadol? And what it means is that the Jewish people are, we are taught, one unit. This is on three levels. On the, on the level of history, from Abraham until you and I, we are one human being. And in that human being's complexity, there are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Aaron, those are the brain of these one holistic human being. And then there's throughout the generations, each souls on different levels representing different organs. And then according to Kabbalah, we represent the heel which has the power of self-sacrifice in these difficult times of darkness to march us through the finish line into Mashiach. So that is from the historic uh, uh, point of view in Kabbalah, where every single Jew from Abraham until us are all one holistic human being with all the organs of a human being. Then there's another level of this holistic View where each generation is in itself an entire holistic human being. Every single soul, every single Jew within one generation is part of one holistic whole, which makes up one holistic human being. And within that generation, the Rebbe of that generation is the head, the brain of that holistic human being. And then the third level is that within each soul itself, there's the complexity of the entire human being. There's the five levels of the soul, which represents all the different parts of the, uh, of the human being. I want to talk about level B, where in every generation, all the Jews of that generation make up one holistic being. And within that holistic being, the brain of that holistic being is the Rebbe. Now, what does that mean? So I want to take you to a teaching of the holy Baal Shem Tov who told his grandson, Aphraim, who wrote a book, I think it's called Degel Afrayim. And he writes there on the portion in the book of Exodus called Kitisa, where the opening verse is Ki Tisa Rosh which means when you take a census, when you count the, the heads of the Jewish people. And the heads means each individual, one head, you know. However, the word tisa also means to lift up. And the Baal Shem Tov said like this, ki tisa et rosh b'nei Yisrael, this is what his grandson writes, that rosh b'nei Yisrael, head of the children of Israel, those first letters of those three words, rosh ret, uh, resh, b'nei bet, Yisrael yud, spells out the word Rebbe. And the job of the Rebbe is to be the rosh b'nei Yisrael, the head of the children of Israel of that generation, and his job is kitisa. his job is to lift up. Now, let's go back to what the Kohen Gadol does, and we're going to refer to the Kohen Gadol here as the Rebbe of that generation. And I'm not going to get into one second, is Moses the Rebbe, not Aaron. We're just going to look at the more holistic picture with the definition of a high priest, is to be that rush B'nai Yisro, and his job is tisa, to lift up the head. So I wanna to talk to you a little bit about science. So the human brain, I mean, for simplistic reasons, keeping it simple, we're gonna divide the human brain as they do in science at times, as in three brains. There's the reptilian brain, which is the brain stem. There is the middle brain, which is the limbic system and there's the frontal cortex which is the executive brain now the job of the reptilian brain which is the brain stem it is the part of the brain which literally controls the motor of the body it's all the motor skills the reason why our heart does not stop pumping is because of the brain stem that's that job of the brain the reptilian brain only asks one question, am I safe? That's where the fight or flight comes from, the reptilian brain. And then there's the middle brain. The middle brain is the limbic system, which is really the house of emotions. The one question that the limbic system is asking is, am I loved? The gift of the human being, the real gift of the human being, lies within the frontal cortex, the executive brain which is the power of higher intelligence. Now, the primary question of the frontal brain is, what is my purpose? Am I fulfilling my purpose? That is a higher intelligence question, and that's what the the higher gift of the human being is, to be able to have that abstract, out of the box, Um, power of intelligence to question what is God's will for me. Now, the reptilian brain and the limbic system is the lower parts of the brain. And that's why in meditation, where we're looking to connect with the higher intelligence, we're looking to quiet down the reptilian brain We're looking to quiet down the chaos, the fears, and all the stuff that goes on in the middle brain so that we can have the connection and moment of the frontal cortex. That is why meditation often has either a a chant or it has a breathing focus. All of that is give the lower brain something to think about, simple, so that it isn't loud and screeching, and we can have a quiet moment of being present, which is all about the frontal cortex of the brain. Now, what defines the human being and what gives us the higher living, where we're not just an intellectual animal, but everything about us is different. And that is that even the animal which has a brain And even the intelligent species of the animal, whether we talk about the dolphins, what we're now learning, um, there's a certain bird and also monkeys, certain monkeys that use tools. That's something that's not within the capacity of an animal's intellect. Uh, We're seeing certain signs that, you know, tools to break open nuts and so forth and so on. Um, That's that's higher intelligence. However, all of the intelligence, whatever it may be, is all going to focus on the body's needs, survival, eat, don't be eaten, hunting tactics, um, self-preservation tactics, um, pleasure, um, mating, so there should be a survival of the species, um, species. so all of the higher intelligence quote-unquote of the animal is all subservient to the reptilian brain and the middle brain. The human being has the capacity to do it the exact opposite way. The human being has the capacity to have his middle brain and even his reptilian brain be subservient to the frontal cortex, where even our most, our most innate physical survival needs are all about the higher intelligence, purpose, and meaning. As you know... The human being has the power of self-sacrifice. The human being has the power of making even his eating and even his most bodily functions all be about a higher purpose and a relationship with God. Now that frontal cortex is the front part of the brain is very unique in that capacity. Now, obviously... What we have here is the reptilian brain, the limbic system, it's meant to not have higher intelligence because you don't want the functioning of the body to be paralyzed by higher search for meaning and purpose. We need that part of the brain which just is focused on getting the job done. You need to breathe in, you need to breathe out, you need to eat, you need to survive, it's just the, it needs to not be sucked up, not sucked down, sucked up into higher meaning because we rely on it to just be mechanical and reliable to just in and out get the job done. The frontal cortex is a part of us which You know, when you talk about the absent-minded professor or you talk about the sages going into a different realm, a different zone of reality where they can forget about needing to eat or, or stuff like that, you know, when you had this story in the Talmud where This Gentile asked this uh, rabbi, he saw him learning and he was sitting on his hand and he didn't even realize that the weight against the sharpness of the chair cut him and he was bleeding. And he said, you're such a, the Gentile said to him, you're such a a amapazisa, you're such a wild nation. You know, when it came to the birth of your nation, God tells you, I want you to accept the Torah. You didn't do the logical thing and said, one second, what is it you want from us? No, we will do and we will hear. And you still act that way. The power of acting and that abstract function where purpose and meaning has dominance even over survival, that comes from the frontal cortex. Now we understand what it means that the high priest, his job is to be completely, completely transparent and devoted and conscious and united, unified with the highest relationship to God. And his job is to feed that to the middle brain, to the reptilian brain, to every part of our being. Hence, the Talmud says, the Maimonides says an interesting law. He says that a wise person is recognized in 10 different levels, and one of the levels being simply the way he walks in the street. Because someone who's living a higher life where his frontal cortex is the most conscious and is the most dominating part of his life. So even his walking is done with class and intelligence and with purpose. How much more so is eating? How much more so his sexual life with his spouse? How much more so is making a living? Everything is saturated with being a higher human being, which was created in the image and likeness to God. That is the frontal cortex, not the entire body. It needs to be just the frontal cortex, which has an influence and a dominance over everything else. But we don't want your toenails to get caught up in deep um, purpose and meaning. And same thing with your stomach. We want them to be functioning almost on a non-intellectual level, just robotic. Now, what does that mean in the holistic in the holistic human being. And we're talking here about in this generation. So there's a reason, Maimonides says, there's a reason why not all human beings are created equal. And over here in the sense of equal, we don't mean value. We're talking about with the same talents, potentials, and gifts, because we need to have the rocket scientists, and then we need to have the people who plow the fields, and that's what they're passionate about. It's, it's just everyone to make this machine work, you can't just have a frontal cortex. You need all the levels of the brain. You need all the functions of the body until what seems to be the most unimportant mundane function. So if we don't have bowel movements or we don't have urination, there's going to be blood poisoning and we're going to have death. So you can have a frontal cortex from here to, to Einstein and back if we don't have the simple flushing out system of the liver and then the kidneys, we're gonna die. So therefore, so too in the holistic macroscopic human being of the generation in which you and I are all parts of, we need to have all the different levels of Jews and each one having its level of intelligence, its level of spirituality, its level of action. However, what makes this body function on a higher level, even when we do our mundane work, even the person whose job it is to just sit and and, and go out there and do what we may seem as the most mundane level for the Jewish people to be able to function as a unit For even that mundane level to be part of the holistic human being, which was created in the image and likeness to God, it needs to be connected and obedient and devoted to the frontal cortex. Hence, we understand why the generation has one Rebbe, which is the frontal cortex. And then we have all the other levels of Jews, which make up our holistic, beautiful nation. However, we all have to be devoted and obedient. We can't argue with the frontal cortex. Imagine if the reptilian brain is going to start arguing with the frontal cortex. Or imagine if the stomach is going to start arguing with the brain. That no, you know what? Today I'm going to take a break. Today I'm going to do it differently. Then the whole system is lost. So for our very survival as a holistic human being with a mission and a purpose that needs to even eat and drink and sleep, we need to be devoted to the teachings and the guidance and the consciousness of the frontal cortex. That is the true definition of a Rebbe within the Jewish people. Now, on a day like Sunday, in which it is the yard site of the Rebbe, we need to also understand and with this, I'm going to close that Rabshiman Shimon Bar Yochai teaches us that the day of a yard site is the day where the person's gateway between heaven and earth is completely open in the sense where all his spiritual work throughout his lifetime has the deepest and strongest physical effect on the world. That's what it says. The Altarebba says that in Tanya, um, he quotes it in the Gerasak and this whole explanation. Now, with that being said, the fact that the brain continues, the frontal cortex continues to function and guide, on top of that, on the day of a yard site, it is so important for all the other parts of the brain and all the other organs and cells of this holistic being To dedicate itself in a very tangible and real moment to the teachings of the frontal cortex, the teachings of the Rebbe, the guidance of the Rebbe, and to align ourselves with the legacy of the Rebbe. So Sunday, it's an important day. To number one, study any one of the teachings of the Rebbe, even if it's a 15-minute read or even a five-minute read on Chabad.org, specifically of the teaching of the Rebbe, number one. Number two, to do an action in the guidance of the Rebbe. The primary guidance of the Rebbe was to reach out to another person and be of service. The real way to connect to God is by connecting others to God. So on Sunday, reach out to someone. And then thirdly, to go ahead and fund. Literally, I'm not making no appeal specifically, but I'm saying in life, our primary goal, whether we like it or not, is to make money. We use every ounce of our strength and intellect and emotions to make a living. By taking a piece of our funds and donating it to a organization of the Rebbe. And I'm going to be clear. Our Chabad House is an organization of the Rebbe. Make sure on that day of Sunday, not only to connect through the mind of study of, to the Rebbe, and not only to reach out to another Jew and live the service of the Rebbe, but to actually financially connect with the Rebbe and make a donation to our Chabad House. And once again, we have our PayPal. It's my email, which I said before, Chabad N Miami, C-H-A-B-A-D-N, like in Nancy, M-I-A-M-I at gmail.com. On Sunday, use the opportunity to financially connect with the frontal cortex so that the blessings does not just manifest itself spiritually, emotionally, but actually physically and financially. Now. How much you should give will be completely your choice. But absolutely give. Now we understand what Moses is telling Korach. Every Jew should want to have the experience of the high priest. We all want to have the frontal cortex experience of higher consciousness of God. However, presently, there can only be one Frontal cortex in the body and the rest of the body receives it from the frontal cortex That was the argument between Korach and Moshe Korach says let the foot forget the toenails the toenails should also be a frontal cortex And Moses is saying no the front of the, the toenails need to have the process of what a toenail needs to do And it needs to be part of the mobility of the human being However it needs to be connected with the frontal cortex. And that is the Torah portion we're reading. Which leads us into the yardside of the Rebbe. Which is the frontal cortex of our generation. And for us to know. Our job is to be physical embodiments. Of the frontal cortex higher conscious. We are to live as physical Jews. Connected to the higher conscious of the Rebbe of the generation. People, thank you. I'm going to end the recording and open up for comments.